So anyways, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Money points ever. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please uh, for this afternoon's feature attraction. From the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. Preposterously exploding into wide release this past week is the return of Tom Cruise to the summer action blockbuster Night and Day. Directed by the genre-hopping James Mangold, Night and Day reteams Cruise with Vanilla Sky co-star Cameron Diaz for a movie considerably more lighthearted. Cruise plays super spy Roy Miller, a globe-trotting agent on the run from his fellow CIA agents after hoarding away a particularly important MacGuffin. Diaz is a woman who, after a chance encounter in an airport, gets taken along for the ride. Now, it's been four years since we've seen Cruise in action mode when he last attempted with Mission Impossible 3, and no one would argue that this time span has been Cruise's most productive as an actor or beneficial as a bankable star. Now, is Night and Day the home-run crowd-pleaser that Cruise needs, or will this be seen as another latter-day Cruise-starring dud? Well, uh, before I answer that, Corey, we should note that joining us right now uh, on our phone lines is my brother Graham from New York City. Uh, Graham, are you with us? I am. Yeah, and Graham saw Night and Day as well. I saw it on Wednesday afternoon. You saw it Thursday evening. I believe Corey and Graham, you saw this last night. Uh, and Graham, I'll I'll let you start here. It's light popcorn entertainment. Uh, that's about that's about how as best as I can sum it up. Uh, you, you don't need to go in expecting this to be the best Tom Cruise action movie. It's not, but I would call it harmless. I think that um, there there are some solid chase scenes in the film. I think that there is a little bit of chemistry there between Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, uh, despite what some might say. So that's there you go for for the for the ladies, and it's got lots of international uh, locations that are shot well. Um, definitely not a step forward as far as filmmaking goes for James Mangold. I mean, this is a this is a product, you know, not a piece of art, but entertaining nonetheless. And I think it's going to do really well overseas. Look, I you know I, I think it's harmless too, especially to the audience. I think there are a lot of elements in this movie that give us a chance to have a good time. The only thing that I think it could potentially be harmful towards is Tom Cruise and his career, because I think that this is a guy who is perceived to be someone who is now unusual and someone who is not appealing to audiences out there and it's really going to take <clears throat> a movie and probably some, something on the level of night and day which is released in the meat of the summer lineup to sort of gain that trust back with those fans and I don't think that this is the movie that's going to do it and I don't know if Mission Impossible 4 is going to do it too but in terms of this movie I'll agree that there are some fun things to look at and hear and uh, watch. Some action sequences were fine. I, you, I, I was not totally satisfied with this, you know, as a summer movie and as a movie in general. I, I think that they both, Diaz and Cruz, look like they're trying to have a good time. They're interested in making sort of this screwball action romp and uh, mangled. I wouldn't necessarily say swings for the fences here uh, because he doesn't really have much of a script or story to work with at all. There's nothing there. Uh, you have this battery 
that sort of serves as this MacGuffin in the movie, uh, the, this this object that drives the plot forward. This is why folks are looking for Tom Cruise. This is why Tom Cruise must meet Cameron Diaz and uh, tag her along on his uh, adventures as a rogue agent. And it just didn't really do enough for me. And the jokes weren't funny enough. It seems like they might have even let these stars participate in a little improv uh, in this movie, and I don't think either of them really has the chops to do that. Uh, but Corey, I mean, what am I asking for here from Night and Day? I guess should should I be expecting something on the level of gosh, I don't know, True Lies, uh, where you do have a solid script and really eye-popping action sequences? Is James Mangold the guy, and are these two stars are they uh, sort of? I don't know, satisfying your appetite for that? I mean, it's interesting that you say that Tom Cruise is not going to come away from this particularly strong. Um, I, don't, I don't think that the movie is going to be very successful, but if anybody's going to come away from this a winner, I would think it would be Cruise because, you know, I'm hard-pressed to think of any lazy Tom Cruise performances. Uh, this is no exception. He kind of throws himself into into this role, and what's great about it is that he kind of, sub I mean, he he does definitely subvert his own persona as this, is this super encouraging, like really intense, uh, oftentimes really overbearing secret agent, and he has a lot of fun. Uh, I just think playing a version of himself or a version of the public persona of himself. Um, so that aspect for me, at least when the movie was strongest in its first half, uh, sort of overcame any script deficiencies at least for a little while but I think you're right that the movie can't really sustain itself on riffing and and a light-hearted sort of uh, nothing script for its entire runtime I think the movie's a little too long for that um, so when we get to the third act and particularly Spain uh, it kind of runs out of steam but there's some great stuff in the first half and I found myself having an unexpectedly really good time with it particularly this chase sequence in Boston uh, which is which is pretty phenomenal, I thought. Well, I'll ask both of you this question, and I'll you know give it to you first, Graham. Mm -hmm. uh, this movie is being marketed as a comedy, um, along with being an action movie. And I was having a conversation with our friend of the program, Matt Scalici, yesterday about whether or not Tom Cruise is funny, and whether or not he's the guy to star in something like this, an action comedy where you rely on his comedic chops and ability to tell jokes with. Uh, timing and I there's no doubt that Tom Cruise is a talented actor I'm a big fan of his and I have been for a while I think he's a legitimate actor and he's done some Oscar worthy uh, stuff in the past but if I'm looking up and down his filmography I ask myself well what has Tom Cruise been funny in and if I have to pick anything I would probably list off interview with the vampire Jerry Maguire uh, and we go even further up the list, and the last example, I guess, would be Tropic Thunder, where he played Les Grossman, and he actually resurrected that character uh, on uh, <clears throat> on the MTV show. But I think his most comedic performance to date that really affected a lot of people and showed that he had a pretty wide range was Magnolia in uh, 1999 as Frank T.J. Mackey. But, Graham, do you think Tom Cruise is funny, and do you, do you buy oh, yeah. him as a comedic presence? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that... Um a lot of what made him funny in Jerry Maguire, you can see in this film in Night and Day. Uh, and I think that if I, if I want to narrow it down and say what is it, what is he, what is he doing to be funny? I think it's the way that he shows stress. I think it's like he's trying in this movie. He's trying to accomplish this mission, and he has to kind of deal with 
some of the drama that, that the you know nervous uh, Cameron Diaz character brings to the situation while he's trying to focus on you know staying alive and deal with her at the same time, and kind of get this feeling that he's he's like yeah I I know you're stressed but I'm kind of really worried about this big thing over here, and he he kind of wears this expression of will she shut up, and that you see that a lot. Uh, in those movies you mentioned, Magnolia, you know, where where it's kind of him dealing with his own problems, but having to having to handle the situation of somebody that's along for the ride. I think it's funny, you know, that you say that the movie has no script because I was reading uh, that this script has been in development for so long, and that nine writers have have, have uh, taken a crack at it, including the great Scott Frank of, of Get Shorty and. Uh, and out of sight fame. But Graham, don't you think that when you see nine names attached yeah. to a script, is that not a warning sign? Absol- no, absolutely. I just think that that's funny, you know, that na- that after nine people, including these high-priced writers, including the director himself, James Mangold, that they still resulted in something that, that you would call not a script. And then <laughs> I, I would be hard-pressed not to agree. Right. I, I think that, that Cruz is... Is a, is a funny presence, particularly in this movie, and I think that his funniest moment, to piggyback off what Graham said, uh, comes right after the Boston chase sequence when uh, he sort of flashes Cameron Diaz this this grin and was like, "You did a great job out there," uh, and sort of congratulates her uh, for um, surviving uh, and and sort of navigating the speeding car you know, the wrong way through Boston traffic. Um, I mean, moments like that are really are really funny. I think that my biggest problem with the movie is that it didn't go far enough in that direction. That I think in the second half of the movie, Cruz kind of dials it down, and it's, it becomes considerably less fun um, for that reason. But I, I just generally found him a very appealing screen presence here, in spite of all the couch hopping and what have you, um, that never really turn me off of him in the first place to Mm -hmm. be honest Mm -hmm. well uh, I I would say the most effective scene in the movie that I think sets a really nice tone is when Cameron Diaz and Tom Cruise are on the plane uh, that I think is going to Wichita um, and it's just the two of them and Tom Cruise has already had these physical encounters with other men on the plane and Cameron Diaz comes out of the bathroom and they sit down and have a conversation uh, and they showed this clip last night on the tonight show so I don't think I'm spoiling anything where he tells her look the pilots can't fly the plane I'm gonna have to do it and she just kind of has this you know funny reaction to it and he's being dead serious and I think that if any if, if Scott Frank or some talented screenwriter had any touch on the movie it was in that scene because I thought it was strong dialogue and I was looking forward to the rest of the movie at that point but like Corey says the movie does lose its way and I think it does so much earlier uh, than than Corey would suggest but I do you know there are there are more funny scenes don't get me wrong especially that diner scene between Cameron Diaz and her ex-boyfriend and Tom Cruise I think that's a strong scene and it sets up a really exciting car chase sequence um, but I don't know. I again, Graham, back to the no script point. You have these, ex, you know, these supporting characters played by extremely talented actors. You have Peter yeah. Sarsgaard, Viola Davis, and Paul Dano 
in this movie. And by the end of it, you would never know that they were even in it. These these are Oscar nominees. These are people who have been in prestige projects. Like, there will be blood for crying out loud. I didn't even know Paul Dano was in this movie going into it. And there he is with this thing on his face uh, resembling a goatee. I'm not exactly sure what was going on there. But, Graham, I mean, don't you think that this movie uh, is engaging as it might have been to an extent do you think that it in the end sort of missed an opportunity yes absolutely i mean there there are like you said flashes of brilliance in the movie on that plane uh, the scene with rodney in the diner um and one scene that i particularly i was impressed with for mangold is concerned when uh Cameron Diaz is drugged, and we're kind of then we see oh, yeah. what's going on mm-hmm. from her perspective, and it goes from her waking up and Tom Cruise is from the ceiling, swinging like he's about to be tortured. Then she wakes up and it's Tom Cruise on a plane saying, "We're gonna have to jump. <laughs> we're hit." And so we have no idea what's going on or how they got there. Uh, we we just know that you know Tom Cruise is about they're 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 once about to be tortured, then they're suddenly skydiving from a crash another crashing plane. And then they're on like a speedboat, and he's in like his, you know, speedboat, right? His tropical attire. Yeah, I, I thought I agree. I thought that was a really strong a really sequence. Good scene. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that, um, you know, I guess the fact that nine writers were involved, too many hands in the cookie jar, we could have had a really great kind of classic action comedy that we could enjoy for years on USA, CBS, etc. Um, but I, you know, I, I can't dismiss it as a failure though, because it was entertaining. And I think that audiences, I think our audience enjoyed it. I think it might have been a little too long. But, you know, this movie was made to succeed in uh, Germany and Trinidad, Tobago, and China. And I think that's what it's going to do. So, why? what accounts for the uh, the poor box office for this movie so far? Well, I think that Pixar is only a week removed from its last release. <laughs> and I think yeah. that Toy Story is obviously going to carry over and do quite well throughout the summer. And also you have a proven box office commodity out there released this weekend in Adam Sandler. And you can throw Kevin James into the mix as well on right. the heels of the success of Paul Blart. And again, I just don't think that people are as uh, with Tom Cruise as they once were. And I think that that's going to continue until he gives us something that's going to just deliver on all cylinders. And uh, Corey uh, and Graham, let me ask you this. We've talked about Cruz here. Uh, Cameron Diaz, uh, I was so turned off by her character early on in this movie because these nine writers forced this character background down my throat early on oh well she fixes old cars she's a car junkie she knows the lingo she carries parts on planes and it just made me kind of nauseated whenever she uh referred to uh you know i i don't even know the name of the car it's very technical but she would just kind of rattle off these names and we're supposed to buy her as this sort of rough and tough raised in a house of boys uh female character yeah that's that's scream that's like Screenwriting class 101, right. where they're like, you need to give your character a background, yeah. and, you know, so that they come to the surface later. And it, I mean, it didn't really come to the surface later. You know, she 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 could drive the GTO, but I mean, it, it might have been nice had she like had Tom Cruise depended on her to use her car, you know, mechanic skills to to get them out of some kind of a situation. That never really happened. And man, she had this terrible half Boston accent <laughs> for the first 20 minutes of the movie that. Thank God, faded away, which never came back in uh, in the end. Yeah, I thought that was funny too. I I don't know. I kind of pretend that the plane sequence didn't exist. 
to a certain degree because I feel like that whole situation was pretty forced uh, to both introduce the characters and sort of shove their defining characteristics down our throat and then we're sort of thrown into this action sequence that is considerably less plausible than everything else that happens in the movie which is saying something I don't know I the plane sequence didn't work for me but everything after that was fun yeah and you know in those early action sequences leading up to the rest of the movie when June is so stressed like you referred to earlier Graham she she can't compose herself and she's constantly saying Roy 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 what are you doing who are you what are you doing Roy and that's for like the first half hour of the movie those are her only lines and it just wears thin early on and I don't know I was just never able to buy uh, her character and uh, look I like Cameron Diaz I think she's fun she's done some good work again to use that word harmless she doesn't really bother me like she does a lot of other people I've heard people say how much they hate Cameron Diaz uh, in movies but I'm not gonna let her bother me and I'm not gonna let this movie bother me again I, I don't think it's a total failure there are some fun things uh, Tess and I had fun watching this movie together uh, mm -hmm. but it's not one that I'm going to see again, and it's not one that I, I think I'll pick up on DVD. I'm curious to hear what both of you have to say about the career so far of James Mangold mm -hmm. and how you, he's, he's pretty hard to pin down. You know, This is his first movie after 310 to Yuma. Uh, before that was Walk the Lion, which got him a... Well, it didn't get him a couple Oscar nominations, but received a couple Oscar nominations for acting, among other things. Uh, then... Identity, I think, was before that, which is a horror movie that everybody seems to have forgotten about. He's 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 a really strange director, I think. Not not that he's not that he's bad, but he sort of travels from genre to genre and only succeeds really in making movies that I find harmless. Well, he what's interesting with you know if you go way back uh, into the '90s, he came onto the scene with this movie called Heavy with Vincent D'Onofrio, a really kind of uh, low-key... I thought that was Pruitt Taylor, Taylor Vince. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I get, I, obviously, you can see why I get them confused. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but so, yeah, that really low-key indie, and then, then from there, he got Copland, mm -hmm. which was supposed to be the new Goodfellas, the, the world-changing cop crime drama. You know, it had this amazing cast, but Copland kind of fell flat, and then he, he managed to get into the studio system and make, you know, movies like Identity... And uh, somehow walked the line, man, and just called on big time. I was not a fan of that film on you know many levels. Uh, and then, but Freaks into you, I thought it was great. I, I think it's. I don't think that this movie was, uh, you know, a, a step in the right direction after making such a great film like Freaks into Yuma, Sadly, but I think that that proved that he is going to be a, a solid studio filmmaker for a long time. Yeah, I'm kind of. I'm kind of opposite. I, I like Walk the Line a lot, but I really didn't care for 310 to Yuma. Um, but I'm looking at his credits. He, he also directed Girl Interrupted, which got Angelina Jolie her Oscar, and uh, the romantic comedy Kate and Leopold. So he's all over the place. Um, that's an interesting, interesting fellow, interesting director. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> he's somebody to keep your eye on for sure. And had uh, his name not been attached to Night and Day, uh, I'm not sure I would have been as interested going into it. I mean, you're talking about from the director of 310 to Yuma, a, a movie that I did like, not as much as Graham. I know, Graham, you're a huge fan of it uh, when oh, yeah. it initially came out. Um, but look, 
I, I'm not going to hold this movie against him. I'm not going to hold Kate and Leopold against him uh, until I see it. Um, and, and you've seen Identity. Uh, yeah, that's with John Cusack yeah. and Amanda Peet and several others. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard good things about that, and I think it pops on FX every now and then. Really? Yeah. With I, with inexplicably there yeah. will be blood, but that's a, that's another another thing. <laughs> I saw that. I almost yeah didn't go to sleep right. because it was on. Right. But, uh, yeah. but look, <clears throat> Night and Day is playing nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16. Uh, something to think about for sure when we're talking about is Tom Cruise back. I think box office will tell you a different story. Uh, sad to say, we'll have to look forward to the Brad Bird directed Mission Impossible 4 if that actually gets off the ground. Uh, but when we come back, Graham, you're going to tell us about a conversation that you had recently with Oliver Stone. And yes, I mean that Oliver Stone. So do stick around. This is Aspect Radio uh, with Corey Craft and my brother Graham Flanagan. Stick around. I know that one day Veronica and I are going to get married on top of a mountain. And there's going to be flutes playing and trombones and flowers and garlands of fresh herbs. And we will dance till the sun rises. And then our children will form a family band. And we will tour the countryside and you won't be invited. Money point seven. Welcome back to Aspect Radio with Corey Kraft. I'm Ben Flanagan, and we're also joined by my brother Graham from New York City, who recently sat down for a conversation with whom I would consider to be a legendary American filmmaker. Would you agree, Corey? Oh, absolutely. Uh, best known for highly controversial portraits of political figures and depictions of military conflicts, namely the Vietnam War. He has a new film, a documentary called South of the Border. Graham, I will not spoil it. Although I did before uh, this previous song break, uh, tell us who you talked to and why. I talked to Oliver Stone, the great Oliver Stone, the the currently mustachioed Oliver Stone. Uh, he felt he was out promoting his new documentary called South of the Border, which opens in New York today or yesterday, and uh, it's open. It's playing in one little uh, theater in New York. Uh, Film in the West Village at the Angelica uh, Film Center, and uh, so yeah, I got to go to the junket. I saw, I went to a screening of the film, and then a few days later, went to the kind of like typical press junket that they have for movie, have for movies. Sat down with them one on one for about ten minutes, and we're gonna we're scheduled to go on the air tonight on CNN, or actually this afternoon at five fifty four fifty Central Time on CNN Newsroom, and um, I'm going to go on, and we're going to toss to some of the chunks from the interview and, and just talk about some uh, in general impressions from the interview with uh, Oliver Stone. So hopefully the breaking news cycle won't, um, as we say, float me out of the show. Uh, right now we're scheduled to, to do this at 4.50 Alabama time. So tune in, stay your DVR. This should uh, be interesting. Well, Graham, I mean... This is a guy whose work you admired, uh, even as early as, gosh, I don't know, 10 years old. I don't know when you saw Platoon, but I remember back in 1995 when you were 12 or 13, you were a huge fan of Nixon. Uh, what was it like to sit in front of the guy who made you so happy as a 13-year-old with that sprawling, uh, sort of acerbic portrait of Richard Nixon? 
it, I mean, it was a thrill. It's it's easily the coolest thing I've ever gotten to do uh, as a uh, you know a producer for CNN uh, in four year four plus years. It, it was it was a thrill. But I tell you though, you know, it's, it's weird because when I was there, you know, you, you kind of have to turn down the fan dial because I'm there. I've been sent there specifically by like a, somebody you know way up in the in, in our company who who knew that. I would be into the story, and I had to really focus on the questions that I was asking. This, the current subject at hand, you know, uh, South of the Border, this documentary. And uh, so you had to kind of really fight to, to not let it turn into the Chris Farley show, where you, you're saying, remember that part in Nixon when the steak starts to bleed? That was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, Corey, I mean, <clears throat> before we move on here, if you could, I mean, Graham didn't get to pick who he talked to. It just so happened he lucked out and got to talk to a great filmmaker, one that he admired for so long, just kind of sit down and have a conversation, and that was for work. But, I mean, if you were working and you did get to pick one of these uh, legendary filmmakers that you might could sit down and talk to, I mean, just off the top of your head, who have you always kind of wanted to have a conversation with? I'd, I'd talk to Martin Scorsese. Really? Yeah. Yeah, good pick. Um, Graham, who's next on this list of uh, iconic film American well, filmmakers? I'm working on, like, a long piece about jazz and, like, the current state of jazz in the United States. And I really, really want Clint Eastwood. I really want to talk to him, but not about movies, about jazz, because I know he's a, uh, a big-time jazz fan. Obviously, he made uh, a movie about Charlie Parker. Uh, but that's just my goal, and I'm telling you, I'm having a lot of trouble with this press guy, uh, <laughs> who's very grumpy and ornery, but uh, hopefully um, we can work it out. Just tell him you like Changeling, you know? Uh, hey, I, <laughs> Say, I'm the guy that liked Changeling. The one guy. I'm, yeah. the, I'm the one that liked it, yeah. Yeah. No, but that's that's who I'm working on, and um, you know, but that, like, this Oliver Stone thing fell out of the sky, honestly. Like, I just got a random email saying, hey, do you want to go to this screening and possibly interview him at this junket um and, it, and it, i tell you what this guy's a, you know people call him a wacko or whatever he's a really nice guy he was he uh we sat down i introduced myself and then at the end of the interview 10 minutes later at the end of it he's like thanks graham that was uh that was that was a good job a good interview so he like remember my name the whole you know and i thought i was impressed that, you know and he he really engaged me and we get you know it's not just a it's not just i didn't throw him softballs you know and when he when he uh, I might ask him a question about Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan president. He might kind of go off the, the 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 rails a little bit and start, you know, spouting off facts about this or that. And I had to kind of get him back on track. And I, you know, wasn't afraid to jump in there and say, no, 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 please, you know, answer my question, answer my original question. And he would. He, he you know, I think he, he appreciated that, and he uh, eventually did answer the questions. And I think that, you know, if you're a fan of Oliver Stone, if you're interested in Latin American politics, you should definitely tune in to CNN tonight at uh, uh, a little before 5 p.m. Central Time. Well, um, and before we move on, Graham, you said you didn't want it to turn into the Chris Farley show, mm -hmm. uh, but I do wonder if, I don't know what's going to make it on uh, the, pro <clears throat> the program this evening, but did mm -hmm. you ever slip in any of those fanboy questions that you were kind of itching to ask him? At, well, I, I did after the cameras stopped rolling. I You know, the 10 minutes, when you're sitting down with one of your favorite filmmakers, 10 minutes flies by pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay? And uh, 
so so I was lucky to get in kind of my meaty newsy question, but then after the camera stopped rolling, uh, I asked him, and this was on my list, but it was at the bottom of my list. I asked him, "What did you think of Steven Soderbergh's Che, the film Che, the whole scene, all Spanish language, four-hour-long movie about Che Guevara?" He said, "It was long." And I said, okay. And he said, yeah, not exact, not what I would have done with it. Wow. What he said. <laughs> I think that's safe to say. Wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, and that, that was pretty much it. That was as I was leaving the room, kind of the last little thing I stuck in there to, to, to ask, and not what I would, done, would have done with it. So, it so wait, Oliver Stone criticized the movie for being long? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, yeah, Oliver Stone hasn't made one of those uh, three-hour-plus movies something <clears throat> Correct, since Nixon, since, since right? Since Nixon, that's right. Yeah, well. So, but, but man. <laughs> I know. Pot calling the kettle black, I guess, uh, you have a case of. Well, Graham, congratulations on the interview. That That's yeah, this, really exciting. It's really exciting. Yeah, you kind of. Thank kinda... you. It, it, was, it was. I'm very lucky and fortunate, and, you know, hopefully hopefully we won't get, uh, <clears throat> get bumped tonight, which is always possible in right. this news business. So, well, you know, I see it every day. Yeah, and I guess you could kind of consider that a win for the film fan community of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, so uh, keep it going, and Corey actually has some pretty positive news I think we'll all agree on here. Yeah, and a follow-up to some something we've talked about on the show several times previously, Deadline Hollywood is now reporting that Peter Jackson is currently in negotiations to direct The Hobbit. Now, I, I think we kind of all suspected that this might happen, um, but what do you guys think about this? I, I, I can only see this as positive news. Uh, I mean, go ahead, good. Graham. I think it's great. It's sad that it, it's you know I always kind of I've got kind of a bad taste in my mouth because he's acting kind of like yeah it's a, the impression I'm getting from the press is yeah I guess I'll do it but just make sure I can't do all these other projects. No, you are the one person <laughs> who can do this. Everybody knows it, and you know it. Quit acting like this needs you need to like make sure that you you can. Get this out, get your other stuff out of the way, and let's get this, let's make this thing happen. I thought it was messed up that he didn't do it in the first place, and I'm, I'm relieved, honestly, that they're going to be fans of it. Since Del Toro isn't on board anymore, I'm glad. And uh, you know, I, 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 it just made me mad that he didn't. I'm had to do this from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you, Graham. I I wanted Peter Jackson to do this from the beginning, and I can understand that after uh, three, uh, three to four hour epics that took you know three years out of his life on the Fellowship of the Ring and uh, the other two, uh, Lord of the Rings movies is what I'm trying to say. Um, I can understand why he might want to uh, steer clear of that material for a while, maybe forever, because you, you don't know, I mean, what kind of, like, personal, psychological, physical toll it might have had on him, but he made three great movies. Uh, he made arguably one of the best trilogies of all time, um, and you've got you've to think that fans, after seeing those movies, after seeing the first half of Fellowship of the Ring, they were probably thinking, oh God, I hope he makes The Hobbit, because this is just perfect. And that's the experience that I had. I have yet to read The Hobbit, but I know that the guy's got a grasp on Tolkien, and it's time for him to finally do this. Corey, did this excite you? Yeah, The, the Hobbit is awesome. I, I do wonder, though, if part of his hesitation comes from... I mean, either way you cut it, he's going to be competing with himself. 
either he's going to exceed the Lord of the Rings and people are going to be like, wow, that was, that was much better than the Lord of the Rings and it sort of taints the legacy of those films, or he falls short and people think he's lost it. Um, so so I, don't, I don't know that there's a, necessarily a positive outcome for Peter Jackson as an artist in making The Hobbit. That being said, he's the best person to do it, and I, and I hope that he can he can recapture that Lord of the Rings magic. I think he will. Yeah, and uh, you know maybe maybe he'll be um, making a speech in January. According to this news, uh, there are talks that the Academy Awards ceremony and broadcast will move to January. The folks at Deadline call it a big deal because the broadcast would conflict with NBC's Golden Globes, and it could compete with the Super Bowl too, uh, considering what date it's on. It would also be scheduled ahead of the SAG Awards and shorten the studio campaigning considerably. Now, Graham, condensing that period may be a good thing, and the Globes and SAG's influence, they wouldn't, uh, I guess it would dwindle or disappear on the Academy Awards in the way those uh, voters vote. But do you worry that this will give the Academy voters too little time to see eligible films? Uh, that's a good point, but I like it because I think that, that SAG and... Uh, and the Golden Globes, and I know I'm leaving something off too, the stupid Broadcast Critic Association Awards that are now televised, I think that those definitely take some of the wind out of the sails of the Oscars. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for moving it up. I don't, I, you know, we're already like almost done with the, the movie, the first movie season of that year by the time the Oscars are held. And, you know, I, I think that I like, I'm, right now I'm kind of feeling the idea. I, I like it too. Um, I wouldn't worry about people needing extra time to see these movies. I think if the, the schedule is compressed, people will adapt to it. And I don't see them competing or even sort of completely lessening the influence of the Golden Globes or the SAG Awards or any other awards that are announced around that time as being a bad thing. Uh, if anything, the films should be fresher on everybody's minds. It will cause studios to reevaluate their distribution and maybe get those movies out to a wider audience uh, a little faster than they might normally. I, I can only see this being a win both for the Academy and for discerning moviegoers in places like Tuscaloosa. Yeah, and it'll help us move on to the next year yep. uh, much sooner than we're able to. I mean, we did our Best of 2009 show, I think, finally in April or something like that, right. and that's when people are still talking about it. They're still making their end-of-the-year lists on into the spring. So I totally agree uh, with the point that you made, Graham, um, that the sooner we can kind of put it behind us yet still remember the great films, I think the better. Uh, I think that the Globes and Sags and the People's Choice Awards, let's not leave that out. Um, just kidding. Uh, they sort of take the air uh, out of the sails, I guess, for the Academy Awards by making it so predictable that it becomes boring. And we've seen this award show give Best Picture to the Hurt Locker and this one give it to the Hurt Locker. And so now it's time for the Academy Awards, the culmination of all of them, to give it to the Hurt Locker. So I'm fine with it. Not a big deal. Uh, it's So, you know, let's let's move on. Well, we didn't mention this during either of our last two shows, but you can now go online and see the trailer for Sofia Coppola's latest film, Somewhere, about a bad boy movie star played by Stephen Dorff, whose 11-year-old daughter surprises him with a visit. 
It's been four years since Coppola's last film, Marie Antoinette, a movie that I, I, I liked Marie Antoinette a fair amount. It's no lost in translation, but it's good. Uh, what do you guys think about this trailer? Do you think uh, Coppola is back in awards contention with this? Go ahead, Ben. Uh, well, and you also heard the the Marie Antoinette music coming into this sure. this yeah, hour. That you know, we're thinking, we're thinking here. Um, <laughs> but I'm excited about it. I thought the trailer was very strong. I think that she's taking a risk by casting somebody like Stephen Dorff. I wonder if I'm being unfair uh, in that I like Elle Fanning uh, more than Dakota Fanning already, uh, based on this trailer alone. Uh, but no, I think it's really strong. I like the use of the uh, remixed Strokes song. In the, in the trailer, I thought that that was pretty neat. Uh, it looks great. Um, it sort of has that, tonally has that Lost in Translation feel. And it's nice to see a filmmaker like Sofia Coppola marketing her product in a way that you would expect her to. So I think that this, I have no reason to think that this won't be a pure Sofia Coppola experience. Do you, Graham? Yeah, I mean, just judging from the trailer, you know, it's interesting because this is her, her um, for her last two features, uh, Lost in Translation and Marie Antoinette, she worked with Lance Accord, mm-hmm. who is uh, Spike Jones's director of photography. Now she switched over to the great Eric Savitas, who has done so much great work with Gus Van Sant, and also shot uh, the middle of the movie. This definitely looks like it's more from the Lost in Translation vein. You know, you're here talking about like a Hollywood insider guy like you know basically it's about it's about another Hollywood leading man dealing with his life which is what lots of translation was about think about that you know it's interesting that she's going back to this familiar territory yeah I, yeah absolutely I mean I, I, I'm a big fan of Harris Savitas too I think this trailer looks great um, she has good taste in cinematographers I don't think there's any question uh, after hiring Edward Lockman to shoot her debut, um, and Lance Accord, the great Lance Accord, the great underrated Lance Accord to shoot her previous two features. Um, but Harris Savitas has always been really underrated as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I think that somewhere, it hopefully will prove a return to, uh, to awards contention for both Coppola and yeah, and it's not really going to bother me that he replaced Lance Accord here because I often get the two of them confused with one another. They so have you, similar style. Sure, and you could have said, oh, Harris Vita shot this, oh, Lance Accord shot this, and I would have known which one, uh, to be honest with you. But they do both do fantastic work. And uh, before we go to our break here, Graham, uh, how's the World Cup looking for you right now? Um, We'll get into some, you know, let, let's talk the sport, but I think it is also appropriate that we uh, throw in a few soccer movies that we might could recommend. It's kind of a thin selection uh, that we have to choose from. But uh, what, are you, what are you thinking right now? There's a big game today. Yeah, Uruguay and South Korea. We've all been <laughs> um, looking forward to it. Is that it's going right on now? right now, actually. Uh, late in the first period, Uruguay is, over, is up one to nothing over South Korea. But, no, um... This is the biggest game in, in U.S. soccer history today. Uh, you know, it's, it's put up or shut up, you know, win or go home. When they play Ghana at uh, 2.30 Eastern, 1.30 Central. Uh, and I think that this is going to have probably the biggest numbers. It'll probably be bigger than England. The England match, which was huge, um, or, you know, this, every bar in this city was full for that game. 
and then you, you add that interest level of interest with uh, you know the amazing happening that occurred earlier this week with Landon Donovan's winning goal and stoppage time to, to win the group. I think that you know now today this is huge. I mean, the eyes of, of the nation and the world are going to be on this game, and uh, I'm nervous, <laughs> but I can't wait. I, I'm excited. I think the USA arriving adrenaline adrenaline high coming into this, but they just cannot let Ghana get up on them and early in the game, which has been the the uh, the trend as far as you know Slovenia and uh, England, where we have to keep fighting back. It, it's really exciting too to realize that the U.S. is undefeated right now in the World Cup, right. and they won their group that included England. And I mean, who saw that coming? Who saw us not losing a game in uh, the the group round? So I can't wait for this game. Uh, Ghana, I've, I've paid close attention to in this tournament, and they look so strong. They're extremely athletic, fast. Uh, they've got some great def- defenders in the back. I think one of the guys' name in the back, the sweeper, is Hinsky, maybe. I might be wrong. I might I might be a letter off there, but good God, I would not want to uh, approach him. Uh, They're a great goalie too. Yeah, absolutely. So it should be fun. And Corey, I don't think that the great soccer movie has been made yet. Like the one that we can kind of point towards and say, look, that's a great. That's 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 it. It's the end all be all. But I watched a really good one this week, The Damned United, starring Michael Sheen as Brian Clough, the famous the sort of famous. English coach who obsessed over upstaging West United, West Ham United coaching legend Don Revy, here played by Colm Meany of Conair. Uh, Graham, are there any, or I'm sorry, Corey, I should direct this to you. Do you think that there are any soccer movies that you could recommend to people out there? I really like The Damned United, but other than that, I can't think of anything. Nothing? I I mean, (laughs) to be honest, I I haven't really seen many many soccer movies, but on Facebook, Suzanne Robertson uh, just commented on, on a post saying that we should give some love to Ladybugs. Yeah, the Rodney Dangerfield, right. Jonathan Brandis. So so I suppose I'll defer to Suzanne there and and, and, uh, and mention Ladybugs. Uh, Graham, you and I saw well, that in the Corey, theater. I mean, well, yeah, we did. Well, Corey has the Bendit like Beckham poster in his dorm room. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, actually. I, ben you and I were discussing that. <laughs> it, it's a really, look, that's a really strong movie. I do is recommend it? that one. Yeah, it is. it is good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Graham, I mean, any any other soccer movies? Good poster. Uh, you know, uh, you're right. You're right. Uh, that's, that's, I think that the the great American soccer movie hasn't been made. Well, you you don't have to say American. I think that look, it's it's only kind of big here, uh, as we've realized as this World Cup has dawned upon us. Um, I you know I think it could take a British filmmaker or one of those Spanish or Mexican filmmakers. Uh, that emerged um, in the mid part of this decade, they could make the great soccer movie. And look, there are some really fantastic commercials out there that are directed by feature filmmakers. Yeah, uh, namely, the there's a recent one from uh, Inaritu, I believe, uh, who did 21 Grams and uh, what was his last movie? Babel. Babel, Babel. yeah. Um, it's a really terrific one starring mainly Wayne Rooney of England. I, I recommend you check that one out. But my favorite one at the moment is the one that was directed by Guy Ritchie. And I think if you just type in on YouTube or something, Guy Ritchie's soccer ad, you see this fantastic uh, three to four minute ad, um, you know, punctuated by this Eagles of Death Metal song. That's not bad. And you see this journey from the this first person perspective of a soccer player from his 
you know, under 18 days all the way up to the World Cup and him playing in these English Premier Leagues and uh, with the greats. I, I recommend it. It's a fantastic win, and I wish that Guy Ritchie would make that into a feature film. I just, I actually just thought of a good soccer movie. Mm-hmm. That I, I don't know why I had forgotten from last year a little comedy uh, called Rudo y Cursi mm-hmm. with Diego Luna and Gael Garcia Bernal. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, it's a comedy. It's a, it's a fun little movie. Uh, and they play brothers who are sort of, sort of dueling soccer players. And it's got that indie street cred with. I mean, I Gael Garcia Bernal. It's, uh, it's a goofy foreign language comedy, but I guess the foreign language part gives it indie street cred. Yeah, and that's funny, too, that uh, you mentioned that, because in that Inaritu commercial, you see they sort of, uh, you know, focus on Cristiano Ronaldo mm-hmm. of Portugal, uh, and it's all about these players having these fantasies if they succeed, and one of his fantasies is that the Cristiano Ronaldo biopic has been made, and he's at the premiere, and it shows the screen, and it says, Gael Garcia Bernal as Cristiano Ronaldo, and it shows some footage of him, and I thought that that was pretty neat. But there are some, some good ones, and I was going to mention this later, but I just strongly recommend John Huston's 1981 World War II adventure, Victory. I don't think I mentioned to you when I said we should watch this, Corey, mm-hmm. that John Huston made this movie. And this is, uh, awesome. this is a really fun movie starring Sylvester Stallone, yes, Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, and Pele, the great Brazilian soccer player. And they play these allied POWs in this Nazi prison camp who uh, organize a soccer match to uh, against the German national team where they plan to make their escape either in the middle or after the game. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it sounds like a good time, and it really is. Uh, and there are some other good ones out there for sure, but The Damned United is one that Corey and I agree on, and I think, Grant, you should watch that too. Well, real quick, I just want to say something about USA Soccer. You said it's not really big here. Mm-hmm. I think that the reason that that's the case, honestly, is the fact that the U.S. keeps getting sent home early mm-hmm. in the World Cup. Because every time they don't... Look, soccer is a game that's played on the world stage. It's an international game. And you have, and for, the, for, that, for it to carry over into the U.S. and for it to be a major sport in the U.S., they're going to have to get really far in, in the World Cup. Because every time they go home, it's like you dial the clock back because we have another four years and the interest dwindles. And it's like, oh, they're back. Let's see how they do. They're probably going to suck it up. It's, it's not going to be big until they really impress people in the world in the world cup and that does not mean like they have not done it here well getting to the second round they yes did. they have uh, just the beginning. well look if you if you go back to 2002 we made the quarterfinals we, we made the round of 16 we won uh we beat mexico in the first round of that and we uh, played germany who eventually went to the final and i believe they beat us one to nothing uh we couldn't get past their unbelievable goalie oliver khan it was it was great uh that that world cup being played in asia and japan and uh Korea, but in 2006, everybody just completely forgot about it because we didn't win a game and we just were uh, blown away by teams like Ghana and I forget the other team, maybe the Czech Republic put us away and uh, we tied Italy, the eventual the eventual uh, winners, and it was just kind of, a, again, to say it left a bad taste in our mouths and Americans just sort of grew tired of it again. The Americans, in terms of soccer, we have a really short attention span, and like you said, if we don't have great success immediately we're going to lose a lot of people and that's unfortunate and hopefully today we can get a big win and I'll, I'll give the country credit and I'll give ESPN some credit I don't think soccer has been as popular in this country as it is uh, right now I think that people 
are paying a lot of attention to it. It's on the front pages of newspapers all over the all over the country. It's on television. People are talking about it. Graham, your network is covering it. I was watching it this morning. So I th- I think we deserve a little bit of credit as a country uh, in terms of the attention that we are paying, and hopefully that only increases as the U.S. not only does well but as the years go on. Well, well, you want one quick thing before we get to break. I went to a, into a little soccer shop yesterday that's in my neighborhood. And they have those cleats that you see a lot of players wearing that are Nike that are like silver on the front and bright orange on the back. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? You seen these? Maybe, yeah. They're 215 bucks. <laughs> okay. Insane. Wow. Okay. That's it. That's all. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. are, are... Well, have y'all not been watching? Have y'all not noticed these cleats? Everybody's got these orange and silver cleats on. I might have noticed them. I, I didn't know, know if they're like specific to like a country's colors or something like that. Oh, so everybody's wearing them. Okay, they're not just like the Netherlands. See, typical American, right? You know? Graham, you said I, I was going to call you out earlier. You were like, uh, "Who's playing right now? Korea and who?" Uruguay. You're, yeah, you're like uh, Korea or Uruguay is up one to nothing right now. I was like, if you're a real soccer fan, you would have said one nil, Graham. Yeah, Graham. I don't even think I can say the word I want to say. If I was a real blank, then yes, I would have said that. Right, a real soccer fan would say football too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all losers uh, on this show. Hey um, man, I've got my my LA Galaxy jersey ready for the game today. <laughs> God. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a break. I think we should. Uh, when we come back, we'll offer up some DVD picks, talk box office, and tell you what's playing next week at the Bama Theater for the Art House Summer Movie Series, so stick around. Break yourself, fool! Money mine seven. here on Aspect Radio, uh, ready for some DVD picks. We're joined by my brother Graham Flanagan and Corey. Take it away. Sure. Uh, last week saw the release of uh, Paul Greengrass's new movie Green Zone starring Matt Damon, uh, th- their follow-up to The Bourne Supremacy and The Bourne Ultimatum. Now, I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but uh, it is interesting enough to merit recommendation. It's a fictionalized uh fictionalized action movies set in the early days of the American occupation of Iraq, um, featuring the trademark Greengrass, uh, great action, and Matt Damon's very good. It also features some pretty pretty great uh, supporting performances from Greg Kinnear, uh, and, and an all-too-brief, really cool one from Jason Isaacs as a really awesome uh, soldier, special ops guy, um, sort of cast-against type, but he's very good here, too. Have either of you seen this? Not yet, no. Green Zone, no, I missed it. I'm, I'm definitely going to get it this week, though. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting movie, worth seeing. Uh, also, I caught up finally with uh, The Last Station, an Oscar nominee from last year that I hadn't seen, uh, simply because it never opened around here, but uh, it was nominated for Best Actress for Helen Mirren and Best Supporting Actress for the very great Christopher Plummer. Uh, it is a story about the final days of the life of Leo Tolstoy, uh, and it's it's very good. It's it's a lot more lighthearted than you'd expect. Um, and also features probably James McAvoy's best performance to date. Uh, I really I really enjoyed this. It's it's um, a lighthearted little fun movie. Um, and then also uh, this is on the lower end of my recommendations, but um, the recent comedy She's Out of My League, 
uh, was released last week. Um, and it, it's it's a lot funnier than you'd expect. Um, not certainly certainly not really up to the same level as the Apatow comedies, but that's obviously what they were going for. Uh, sort of a sort of a mix between sentiment and uh, raunchy comedy, mm-hmm. but um, but it works uh, for what it is, and it's it's worth seeing too. Is that it? Yep. All right. Well, I mean, keeping with the soccer trend, I popped in Green Street Hooligans with Elijah Wood and Charlie Humnan, I think Humnan or something um, like um, that. But I'm afraid I can't recommend that because it's terrible. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, Corey. I haven't. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty awful. Uh, so again, I'll stick with the damned United and victory. And uh, I got Invictus from the Red Box the other night, and I, I'm about halfway through that. And Corey's been pretty critical publicly of that movie, uh, just sort of saying there's just not much, not much to like. It's just kind of there, I guess. But I'm kind of into it during the first half. I think Morgan Freeman's doing a fine job, and Eastwood's bringing it. So we'll see where it goes during the second half. But Graham, if you have any DVD picks, please. Yeah, I was also going to mention Last Station. I also recommend that movie, especially for the first hour uh, before things start to get a little yeah, bit serious. Yeah, I agree with that. Serious. Uh, but man, aesthetically, it's just a beautiful film. And uh, I think Helen Mirren should have been more in the running against Monique for Best Sporting Actress. But uh, to keep with the Oliver Stone theme, I'm going to recommend the Blu-ray of Nixon, which is available. Uh, the election year edition. It was actually put out in 2008. And I say this because I popped in my Nixon DVD and my Blu-ray player was unable to convert and for- format it for my screen. So there's something up with that old Nixon DVD, which I bought on deep discount DVD a few years ago for like under $4, I think. Um, but yeah, Nixon on, D- on Blu-ray... It's just going to blow your mind if you've never seen it. It's Oliver Stone at his very best, hmm. and you—and that's saying a lot too. Uh, visually, it's—it's it's just about as good as you're going to see any movie. Uh, but then they've got a great John Williams score. You got this incredible cast, but the script for this movie is so dense and just—it it moves at the speed of light, and you will learn so much, or at least be. Um, motivated to learn more about this period in American history. It's just, it's a great American film. It's totally unique and a must-see. Co-starring Powers Booth and David Hyde Pierce. Damn right. Uh, Box office-wise, Hollywood has something to smile about two weeks in a row. Toy Story 3 pulled in an enormous $110 million thanks in part to 3D and IMAX ticket prices, of course, and The Karate Kid Kept some mojo going with $30 million, clearing the $100 million mark. The A-team continues to disappoint with just $50 million so far. Graham, do you think that Toy Story 3 maintains its edge this week, even with new movies from Adam Sandler and Tom Cruise? I think it's already been decided that that's what's going to happen, yeah. It's going to um, be, number, as like Deadline reported it as number yeah, one yet? Yeah, I read this morning that, yes, uh, Toy Story's still doing strong business, uh, but Grown Ups is already a hit. It's going to make over $40 million. Uh, with, you know, and don't discount night and day, it's, it's not doing terribly. It's going to pull in about $27 million this weekend when all said and done, which is more than I thought uh, it was going to bring in. Well, it also is carrying Wednesday with it. So you've got to factor that in, don't you? Well, I think for the weekend, though, it's going to, it's, it's going to bring in 27 So it's making, it's making 18 money. Yeah, actually, let me back that up in here. Right, it's, it's 27 million with this Wednesday, so yeah, for the weekend, just like tw- around 20. Eek. Well, we'll uh, yeah. 
opening nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16 this weekend, Night and Day, which we reviewed with Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, Peter Sarsgaard, Viola Davis, and Paul Dano. I promise they're there. Uh, Grown Ups with Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, Kevin James, David Spade, and Rob Schneider. Toy Story 3 is also still in theaters. I think we should just note that, Corey. And keep an eye out for the Bama Art House Summer Series, the Art House Film Series, which continues with the Michael Haneke Oscar-nominated German film The White Ribbon, playing next Tuesday, June 29th at 8 p.m. at the Bama Theater. Graham, you've seen The White Ribbon. Can you recommend it? Oh, yeah. You know I can. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's the bomb, and I mean, the best, like, and, oh, and, you know, I'll say this again since your last episode got deleted, but Michael Haneke, the director, was in the news this week. He's going to return to the ribbon, and he's going to do a sequel. He announced that he's going to do a follow-up. It's going to be called White Ribbon 2, The Squeakwolf. All right, uh, well, if you have any feedback, you can email us at 90.7movies at gmail.com. If you feel we've missed something or you have any suggestions as to films we can review or topics we can discuss, please do email us. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @aspectradio or twitter.com slash aspectradio. Download this and other episodes of the show on our blog at aspectradio.tumblr.com. Tumblr is spelled T-U-M-B-L-R. We'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And do not forget to visit our buddy Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com, where you'll find some cool podcasts and a really fun blog that often feature Corey's reviews. And you can catch mine and Corey's columns in Tusk Magazine, found in every Friday edition of the Tuscaloosa News. And on July 10th, Adam Kempinar from the terrific movie podcast Film Spotting, which you can find at filmspotting.net, he will join us live 9 a.m. to talk summer movies, film criticism, and he's going to help us out with our AFI film experiment, or AFI experiment that we have yet to tackle. And please do not miss that show. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's July 10th. And Graham, again, thank you for coming on, and please again tell people when your broadcast is scheduled to uh, go on this afternoon. Yes, yeah, so tune in to CNN today uh, during the in this, I'm talking Central Time today in the 4 p.m. cover is scheduled to hit at about 4.50 p.m. Central Time I'll be on with uh, Drew Griffin is filling in for Don Lemon in Atlanta and I'll be in uh, the New York studios and you'll be we'll be playing uh, some good from my Oliver Stone interview Oliver Stone so uh, tune in to CNN today and for Corey Kraft and my brother Graham Thank you for listening. I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Aspect Radio every Saturday at 9 a.m. Do come back. I'm going home now. I apologize for what I said. I hope you can forget it, but I'm going home right now.